Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Hope you guys all had a great long weekend. Join you a little bit later on a Monday than I usually am. Just caught up with work and different things this weekend. So we're going to talk uh, about the week, this weekend's action tonight. Uh, a lot happening. Um, tonight, we got the national championship, college basketball, Gonzaga against Baylor. The two best teams all year meet in the final. You can't really complain about that. Um, a lot of NHL action. Rumors, um, you know, Kyle Palmieri was scratched in the New Jersey Devils lineup yesterday. Um, looks like he's going to be traded. Rumors that Taylor Hall is going to be sat out tomorrow night. Um, you know, this is not uncommon. You see players that are healthy scratched, um, you know, days before the deadline where when a deal could be imminent. I'd be shocked if both those guys are not moving unless Palmieri can sign a, a long-term extension with New Jersey. We're also going to talk about Major League Baseball the first weekend and it had a lot, you know, um, Reds and Cardinals had a fiery series involving Nick Castellanos, who was suspended today. I'll get into that. My thoughts and feelings on the situation there um, and touch on, um, you know, some some of the COVID issues in NHL that really aren't good right now. Some situations in Dallas with their coaching staff uh, in Vancouver where it's really bad and potentially where this could head for the uh, North Division and and for the long term of, uh, of the National Hockey League this season. But to start off today, let's talk about college basketball. And, you know, coming into the weekend, I was talking to Matt Wright last week on the podcast about Gonzaga and Baylor being the heavy favorites heading into the Final Four. Gonzaga facing number 11, UCLA, and you had Baylor playing number two, Houston. Now, Baylor-Houston, you know, it sounds like a one-two. It sounds like a tight matchup. Houston did not play a seed that was lower than 10 in the tournament, really getting a great draw. I never thought they were a great team. Baylor cruises 78-59. Their guard play with Davion Mitchell, the way they defend is really how Baylor wins. They can score. Yes, they are an effective three-point shooting team, but more than anything, this team defends you, and they have great guard play. This, this tournament is ran by great guards. You can have, you know, your Drew Timmies, who I'll touch on from Gonzaga, who can be great players. But if you don't have great guards that can shoot the three or, you know, elite level passing, you're not going to win the tournament. Houston just ran into a buzzsaw from Baylor. Baylor beats Houston. Easy. So that brings us to the nightcap. You know, I'm thinking, well, you know, Baylor's, uh, sorry, Gonzaga's coming in a 14-point favorite on UCLA. UCLA had only put up 51 points against Michigan. And they struggled to score just point blank. And I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know how they're going to win this game, you know, and we get, go into the game and UCLA just start shooting the three. They're hitting everything they want. They're, they're not pushing the ball up the floor a ton, but they're scoring with Gonzaga. Gonzaga has been a great defensive team. They weren't Saturday night. Campbell was getting everything he wanted. Uh, uh, Riley in the paint started hitting jumpers. You know, he was, he, he had his outside, outside shot going. And then Johnny Jusang, who was at Kentucky last year, decided to transfer because he was homesick during the pandemic, comes back to UCLA. He's from, he's from the Los Angeles area. He put on a show Saturday night. He has been, been a great player all tournament, kept them in the game. And then the other side, we see Ayayi, you know, a, a good guard who scored 22 points, went four for four from three, uh, f- five assists. He's doing it all. Drew Timmy uh, had a solid game, 20, 25 points, of course, did foul out in overtime, but he was solid the whole night, getting points in the paint, um, defending. And then there's Jalen Suggs, you know, the presumptive 
number one overall pick now, surpassing Kate Cunningham after a strong uh, tournament so far. And what it really showed me is, you know, these guys are college kids. We saw Gonzaga, I mean, a, a great team all year. They missed seven free throws. They hit one last three in the UCLA. But this team has championship DNA. And what they did is they didn't quit, they didn't give up, and they kept fighting. And we see um, UCLA, they tie it up late with about a minute left. Gonzaga misses their next shot. UCLA gets the ball back. One possession, they can hold the ball, win the game. Jusang decides to drive it to the paint. Timmy just takes it on the chin, takes a charge with about 2.5 seconds left. Game goes to overtime. It was a controversial call. I think they made the right call. I think Timmy was there in time. If it was a block, Jusang would have got two shots with 2.5 seconds left, and Timmy would have been fouled out. I don't like the odds of Gonzaga. I think UCLA wins the game if the call goes differently. They call it a charge. I don't have a problem with that. Going overtime, going back and forth. The biggest lead of overtime is Gonzaga with four points with about a minute and a half left, but UCLA fights back. Jusang makes back-to-back buckets. He was feeling it. Um, he did make a few mistakes in overtime. He had two turnovers, including another uh, charge that he, that he did. And for me, what he needed to do was just shoot. He had his outside shot going, stop driving to the paint because he had it. He was feeling it. And I just think he overthought it a little bit. So that was happening. They, they're up two um, with about 20 seconds left. Um, UCLA's got the ball. They score a bucket. Jusang makes it 91-91. That 3.5 seconds, it's an inbound to Jalen Suggs. He doesn't have any time. He just dribbles to about 33 feet, just barely, barely across half court, launches one up off the backboard and in. Gonzaga survives, wins in a thriller, and moves on to the national championship game where they'll, they'll have the opportunity to be the only the second team in the last, since 1970, to go undefeated. Indiana, the Hoosiers, were the last team to go undefeated. Gonzaga has that opportunity tonight. Huge moment for Jalen Suggs. Huge moment for that program. And by beating UCLA, Gonzaga guaranteed that a new team will win a national championship. Gonzaga, Baylor, neither program has won a national championship. And it's... These two programs are really the metamorphosis of college basketball, where forever it was the Dukes, it was the Kentuckys, it was the Kansas, North Carolina, where you knew who was going to be the dominant force. These teams just recruited better. They had better one and dones and they won. It's, it's a shift. We're seeing the teams that win have upperclassmen. And what I mean by that is, it's not just freshmen one and dones because Kentucky did make the tournament. That's how their team was built. Duke did make the tournament. That's how their team was built. And it's not every year that they missed the tournament, but Duke and Kentucky are not even getting close to winning. Gonzaga makes the final four consistently. Baylor is becoming a powerhouse. Again, a small school. So is Gonzaga, but they're not mid majors anymore. These schools are proving that they can recruit with anybody and they can beat anybody in the nation. we got the Baylor Bears, two losses this season. One to Gonzaga, one to Oklahoma State late in the season. Gonzaga, like I said, undefeated. Only two games this season where they've won by less than 10 points. They 
these schools can bring it. And I think tonight is the best national championship game we could have gotten out of the final four. They're two number one seeds. Again, a combined two losses. You got Jalen Suggs, presumptive number one overall pick. So it keeps that storyline. You got Drew Timmy. You got Davion Mitchell. You still have the, the storyline of Gonzaga potentially going undefeated, which is obviously a good selling point for TBS and, you know, uh, CBS and everybody broadcasting it tonight. And of course, ESPN talking about the game today. So I think this is going to be a great game. UCLA Gonzaga was, was a thriller. It's one of the best basketball games I've seen in a long time, you know, pro or like, you know, any, anywhere in the world, basketball, you had to watch that game. I, I watched it Sunday morning. I, I, I had to rewatch it because you don't see that every day. A UCLA team that had to beat Michigan state in the play in tournament just to get in the dance, they get to the final four and they push the overall number one seed, the best team all year to the brink. They give them all they could handle. And Mick Cronin and the UCLA Bruins deserve a ton of credit for what they did. They were seconds away from going to the national championship as an 11 seed, but it's the way the cookie crumbles. I think it helps the recruiting. This final four bid helps the, helps the recruiting and also builds back the program that was once a powerhouse with the likes of Bill Walton and with Luol Cinder. I'm not saying it's going to get back to that tomorrow, but we see Loyola Chicago made it to the Sweet 16 twice. Their head coach, Peter Moser, just left Loyola, took a job at Oklahoma. You have success at these smaller programs. You have success on the big stage. You get noticed. You get opportunity. UCLA, like we said before, like I said before, they used to be a powerhouse program. You get back on the map, the Pac-12 gets back on the map, people will watch. Players are going to see, well, Mick Cronin seems like a pretty good coach. This team wasn't that good all year, but when they had to be, they stepped up and they nearly beat Gonzaga. Maybe I want to go there. Why do I want to go to Kentucky where, okay, there's really these five-star recruits and I have to sit on the bench for a year before I even get some minutes. Let's go to UCLA and I'll fight for it. Some guys are just built that way. But tonight's game, 10 o'clock, Gonzaga, Baylor. You know, I, I mentioned all year, if you can't watch it, record it. I'm watching it tonight. It's going to be a late one for me. But it's a game. You know, Oklahoma, Ohio State, I'm sorry, uh, Alabama, Ohio State football. It's, national, it's, it's like a Super Bowl. You're not going to bed till the game's done. There's certain games I think you have to watch. And I, this, is, this is it for me. It's the last college basketball of, of, of the season. You know, this is the creme de la creme, the sports. you got the national championship game tonight, and the Masters starts on Thursday. Like, are you kidding me? We're going to see the Masters on Thursday. And after this tonight, I mean, that's just sports royalty. Baseball starting. Hockey, trade deadline Monday. Basketball is in their home stretch. Uh, tennis had, had a great tournament last week. Canada is a men's men's curling world championships. Brendan Botcher curling very well so far. There's a lot happening right now, and you kind of have got to give your screens ready and always ready to switch that channel. But this is it. Tonight is is one of those nights where you say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do this work or I'm gonna go buy groceries before this game because 
you might see a team go undefeated for only the second time since the 1970s. It's pretty special. Does that mean that they're the best team ever? No. But are they in the discussion? You bet. I don't care what era you go undefeated. You're unfucking defeated. Nobody beat you. Are you better than Luol Cinders, UCLA? Maybe not. Are you better than UNLV? Okay, maybe not. Or are you going to be as well known as the Fab Five? No. But the Fab Five didn't go undefeated. You might. If you win the whole thing, you are. You can put that in a resume for the rest of your life. Some of these kids will never do anything in the NBA. Jalen Suggs supposed to go first overall. Who knows? Maybe he's a miss. But like the World Junior Hockey Championships, for the rest of your life, you can say, I was on that team. We went undefeated. It's like winning a Heisman. Johnny Manziel turned out to be a bust in the NFL. Troy Smith. But guess what? They got a Heisman trophy. They're still pretty well known. You got a Heisman trophy? You can sell that for years. Years. So I think it's gonna be great tonight. Uh, just a great game. I'm hope I hope it's tight. I hope it's a close game. Uh, I'd lean Gonzaga, but I'd never underestimate Baylor because they're gonna bring it every time they hit the court, and they're gonna give Gonzaga their best shot. So ten o'clock tonight, Gonzaga Baylor. Watch the game, or you know, rethink rethink your life choices. No, but watch watch the game. Um, I was gonna pivot to hockey, but before we get there. I got to say over the weekend, it was the Texas Open, San Antonio, Velvredo, Texas Open there. And Jordan Spieth won the event the week before the Masters. And this was his first win since winning the PGA Championship in 2017. This guy's been playing great golf to start the season. He's finished in the top five a lot. But on Sundays, we've seen him blow up. He finished it yesterday. He shot six under yesterday. Charlie Hoffman did push him. He shot five under. George Spieth goes 18 under for the tournament, wins the event. And I don't know if this signals that he's back, but this is going to be such a confidence boost for Jordan Spieth. The guy's still only 25. He was a phenom young. And then he hit that uh, since the Masters where he had the lead. It looked like he was going to go back to back. And he put it in the water on 12 twice. He's hasn't been the same player. You know, if you ever hear the audio goes, Oh no, like it's, it was ugly for Jordan Spieth. Since then he's missed cuts. <coughs> Excuse me. Fired caddies. Um, gotten fined by the PGA tour really become an unknown, just a, another, just a Jag, just a guy, but with, the, with his play this season and winning an event, regardless of who was there, a win's a win. And does that mean that I put all my money on him on the Masters? No. No, I, I wouldn't. But it does make you pause and say, well, this guy just won. He's playing some really good golf. Maybe you put a couple bucks on him if you're a gambler. But it's more exciting that Jordan Spieth's back in the winning column because it creates more contenders, more younger guys that can win. You got Spieth. You still got Kepka, who looks like he's going to play. DeChambeau, 
Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, who still hasn't won uh, a major. Rory's still still there. The more guys that are playing at a high level, the more compelling the sport is. And I've mentioned before, I think golf is in a fantastic position because even though Dustin Johnson's number one in the world, Justin Thomas is still really good. I don't think definitively you can say there's the best golfer because Dustin was great last summer, had one of the greatest stretch runs in the history of golf. You know, going one, two, one, one, three, one. These are his finishes. But start the season, he's really been an afterthought. And we've seen Spieth have a really good start to the year. DeChambeau has won an event. Lee Westwood has, has golfed really well. So it creates new avenues for players to really step in and make a name for themselves. And golf has a lot of a good personalities. It has a lot of players that are playing at a high level, and that's always better. You want to see that. Heading into Augusta National, Spies won the event. We see normally the, the guy who wins the Masters is has played Augusta National at least three or four times. It's never a rookie. You got to learn the course. You got to get through it. You know, a guy I, I think is a sleeper to win the Masters is Victor Hovland. He's only played there twice, so I'm a little hesitant to put all my money on him. But again, you need to play the course. You need to learn it. That's why Tiger is so dominant. He's played it more than anybody. He knows the ins and outs of it. And Spieth won it. He should have won it twice if he didn't gag it away in 17. So where do we go from here? That's the big question for Spieth. If he doesn't win the Masters this week, it's not an ultimate failure. You know, it's not a total failure. But can he get back into the mix at majors? We've seen this year at smaller events, he's always been at the top, you know, finishing in the top 10 at least. Can he do that at the major? On on Thursday is the first day. Can he stay in contention? Will he, you know, still be there come Saturday on moving day where he's not, you know, teeing up at 8.30 a.m. because he's eight strokes behind the lead? That's really what I'm looking towards. Can he stay in contention for the whole weekend and make it interesting with the Kepkas, with, you know, the other elite golfers, can he be there with them? So congratulations to Jordan Spieth. I guess I think it's great that he won an event um, the week before the, the masters, he should come in confident. It's rare to see a guy go win one week and then win the next very difficult in golf, but who knows? Um, I guess I wouldn't put money on him personally for the masters win, but I understand if you're feeling him, you're like, this guy's riding the wave. He's going to get one. He's going to win a major here, but I'm going to talk more about the masters throughout the week. It's a, one of the best sporting events of the year. I know I said, that's kind of a cliche. Um, Cause I say that about March madness and the world juniors, but it's when you hear, you know, I don't listen to sound when I listen to games. Uh, I've said that before on this podcast, I, there's probably been four hockey games this year where I've listened to the sound. Um, every start. So at 9am on Thursday, I'm going to turn on CBS and I'm going to listen to Jim Nance say, hello, friends. It's iconic. It's Jim Nance. He's one of the best sports casters in the world. But when you hear him say, hello, friends, you know, it's at Augusta national. It just means something more. And the PGA is great. I watch every major, I watch every, pretty much every golf event 
I watched a lot of the golf yesterday with, with Spieth and Charlie Hoffman going at it. But that course, the beauty of it, it's just different stakes. The British Open, the PGA, the U.S. Open are all really special events, and you win them, you're just as excited. But getting that green jacket, getting the jacket is just, you know, it's different. It's not Happy Gilmore, green jacket, gold jacket, who gives a shit? Uh, it's it, it's a pretty special event. So we'll t- I'll talk about that more into the week. But um, congrats to Jordan Spieth. Good to see him get back in the win column. And uh, maybe he can help his buddy Ricky Fowler do that because he's trending in the uh, wrong direction. That brings us to the NHL. Um, over the weekend, really, it was last Wednesday. It was supposed to be Canucks Flames, and the game was postponed due to COVID. Uh, Adam Gadette of the Vancouver Canucks had tested positive. They, po- they postponed the game that night thinking – Okay, Gadette's positive, but, you know, we'll be able to contain it. Throughout the next day, there was eight positives. Throughout the weekend, we're now Monday. We're at 20 players and staff on the COVID list. And I have a few different thoughts on this. And, you know, some people might not like this, but I'm going to go there. In, In January, the Washington Capitals were given a slap on the wrist and condemned by the NHL because Alex Ovechkin, Ilya Samsonov, Dmitry Orlov, and Evgeny Kuznetsov were having a couple of beer in a hotel room after a game. I guess that was against the rules, even though you're on the bench together and you're in the locker room, but you can't do that, which whatever, stupid rule, but that's rules are rule. That's fine. You slept, they, were, they were in the wrong. They gave him a $50,000 fine. The guys had to sit out four games for COVID shit. Okay, I get it. I think a couple, you know, Samsonov might have t- tested positive, which I, I get, but they didn't test positive because they're all sitting in a room together. They clearly got it outside. You know, it's just, anyway, I'm not getting into that. But they, they, they get a slap on the wrist. They were wrong. So when you're, as, as, when you're wrong in life, you get a little knock on the head, you shake it off and you move on. However, since then, We've seen outbreaks in Buffalo, New Jersey, Philadelphia, now Vancouver, Montreal briefly. But no fines, no inquiries, no talk about how this started. Now, just to put this into context, the Vancouver Canucks were off for a week. They didn't play for over a week. And we don't know what the players were doing. Again, Adam Gaudet tested positive first. That does not mean Adam Gaudet's in the wrong. Could have been a player. It's just him that got a positive test first. It takes different people can get it at different times. Just, just all depends. But why do we hear nothing about these other teams? You're, Vancouver is hurting the league right now. Because they're supposed to end their season by May 11th at the latest. Because they need to get the playoffs in. And they need to finish the season by mid-July. Because that's when the Olympics start. NBC is not going to be showing Stanley Cup final games. Because they're going to want to show the Tokyo Olympics. Summer summer games. It looks like 
the athletes should be vaccinated because they're getting their vaccines um, elsewhere, obviously not in Canada because they'd be waiting a couple of years, but my bit, and again, people might not like this, but why do we hear nothing but Washington? Why are they the only team condemned and given the riot act and given a fine when they only had four guys, Vancouver's got 20 guys with COVID. You're telling me one guy got it and then all 20 got it. How did that not happen in Washington? It was the same situation. Again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not Fauci here, but I just, I find it really, really weird how we hear nothing about it, but because four guys were having beers after a game, they're obviously now the villains. They're thrown under the fire and say, okay, you guys are in the wrong here. You guys are the worst, but the Vancouver Canucks are off a week. I think, you know, in life, you're off something for a week, whether it's work, whether it's hockey, whether you're like, okay, I don't need to go do this for a week. And you're not, you know, your guy, guy, woman, you you go take a peek. Maybe a guy went to a bar. Maybe a guy went on a date. Maybe he went in the public. And, but I just find it awfully strange that the team is off for a week. And now it's just automatically assumed, well, no, it was just bad luck. The Washington Capitals, their four Russian players, each had a, a you know a six pack of Keystone Light, and they're they're um, looked at the league like oh you guys are terrible. But all these other situations, we don't hear jack shit. There's 20 guys on the COVID list. By the end of this shit, their whole team will be on it. They're not going to play for at least two weeks, more, likely, and. Now there's rumors Vancouver may just quit the season, which I don't agree with. But that's that was a report last. Pierre LeBron actually, you know, it was a report out of Vancouver. He cooperated, saying it's a possibility. And of course, let me just get back into saying, of course, I want everybody to have a speedy recovery. If they have symptoms, I want them to get better. I'm not saying that them having COVID is not a big deal because it is, of course. But as a person, I, I just get sick of hearing about, I think we all do. We get sick of hearing about COVID. And for me, I know life's not fair, but at the same time, Alex Ovechkin, a star of your game, the greatest goal scorer in the history of the sport, in my opinion, takes a kick in the ass by Gary Bettman in the league and a Vancouver team that doesn't have half the stars it has really a lackluster season. They stink. You don't hear anything. Is there going to be an inquiry? I haven't heard anything about that. I just find it hard to believe you're off for a week and you just go to the gym or you go to the gym at the rink and you see all the same guys and you go grocery shopping and you got into bad luck. I think a player did something wrong. And if there is, I want to hear about it because we heard about it in Washington and maybe the other ones were just one off bad luck and you ran into Joe, you're the guy who does your laundry and he, he had it. Nobody knew, but I I just think it's really strange how whole fucking team can get COVID and then four guys having beers, one of them gets it and they're completely different situations. Washington didn't shut down the league. Washington didn't miss a game. Ovi Kuznetsov, Orloff and Samsonov missed four games. Samsonov missed about 20. 
Washington played their next game. Vancouver's whole team is shot down. They're, they're saying they're going to play third. They're not playing. They're not playing for a while. And this affects the schedule. There's, I think the, the North Division is going to be decided by points percentage. And what I mean by that is every team is not going to play 56 games because it'll be, you know, say Toronto has a, Toronto has a 60% points percentage. Winnipeg's 58. Toronto gets first. That's how it's going to work because it's not going to be enough. They're not going to get to 56 in time. Now, if that, ha- I don't think that I just, I had to get that rant because it's, it's such a joke to me that you hit one team and then you let all these other teams off scot-free for whatever reason, fear or trepidation, but it's just ridiculous. So moving on from that, Vancouver, I, I read a report that they're thinking they could end their season. Um, yeah, I, I'm not okay with that. I get it. The players got COVID. It's, but we've seen outbreaks on different teams. Dallas had one in the beginning of the year. They battled through, they played. Quitting because you got a, got COVID-19 is not a solution for me. Tuka Ras quit on his team last year in Boston. That's still my opinion. He can say he went home because his kid had a, a nosebleed. Again, I'm not a parent. That's just one man's opinion. He, I think he quit. Having, if you have the disease, of course, I don't know what it's like. Maybe it takes a hell of a lot out of you. And I, I'm not diminishing what they got going on there. But you have a job to do. And when you're healthy to come back to do it, you do it. That's how I was raised. You know, I, I had an opinion at the beginning of this. I never really changed my stance on COVID. I think it's serious. I don't think it's as serious as people say it is. But at the beginning, I said, I'm fine if players opt out. And I had a conversation with my dad. And he said, Noah, the person that you went and bought groceries from, they don't get to opt out because they need to pay their mortgage. They need to pay their rent. And I really thought about it. And I said, you're right. They got to go to work. And People around the world that have worked in grocery stores, um, uh, healthcare workers have gotten COVID-19, but they, they battle it and they go back to work. And I think for the Vancouver Canucks, play the games that you can. You sign up to play 56, do your job. And I just think it sets a bad precedent if you get a team that just opts out and quits the rest of the season. That wouldn't sit well with me. I think it puts a really bad mark on the league. And I want everybody to get back healthy. Every player I want to come back ship shape. I'm going to reiterate that for the rest of the time because it can be construed one way or the other. But I want them to come back healthy. But when you're back, you're playing. Point blank. Get the guys. You need AHL guys, call them up. You got Utica. We've seen this in the NFL. We've seen this in the NBA. You play with who's available. Maybe Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes and uh, Thatcher Demko can't play. Well, Brayden Holpe and uh, Louis Erickson and Michael Chaput are going to dress for Vancouver. Because guess what? That's who's available. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. It's not fair, but life's not fair. And, you know, it kind of balances out with you not having any wrath for getting 20 players with COVID by just having, well, uh, it's not fair. 
Again, I want everybody to get healthy. Maybe this is just me being so tired of COVID. I see the positive cases in Moncton today. I'm like, fuck, are we going to go back to orange or red, whatever it is anymore? I can't even, don't even remember. I don't even care. But just battle through it. Everybody stay healthy. And maybe NHL let us know what's going on here. I'd like to know. Maybe people don't care. I do because I remember stuff. You know, it wasn't just Vancouver. You know, Dallas last night, weird scene. I'm watching the Dallas-Carolina game. Um, and after the second period, it's one nothing Carolina. It's on NBCSN. In the intermission report, it, it's released that Rick Bonus is not going to return to the bench in the third period due to COVID protocols. And um, he uh, Dallas lost the game one nothing. Bonus is, had to stay in Raleigh, North Carolina. He may be able to travel tomorrow. I think it's believed that he's fully vaccinated, but um, I'm not sure if his wife is yet. So they're still waiting on test results. Um, I guess if you're, you have the vaccine, you can still carry it. Uh, so some, some um, health issue there for bonus, but he's still in Raleigh, North Carolina, Dallas moved on, but weird how a guy who's in COVID protocol, again, he never tested positive, but I think he may have had a false positive, but that you play the game, even with, say the coach had COVID, you decide to finish the game. I think it's just it's weird how that worked. It was strange to me that he was pulled from the game. We've seen that um, in the NBA uh, as well with Rick Carlisle, oddly enough, for the Dallas Mavericks uh, last week. So um, a lot of these states, teams in the states are getting vaccinated. Uh, and it was even reported today that the Toronto Blue Jays, when they get back to Dunedin, they're going to be on a list to get a vaccine sooner rather than later just because the U.S. is pumping out 3 million of them a day. So it's weird scene last night, Carolina gets the win over Dallas, but it's kind of overshadowed by the brick bonus being removed from the bench and John Stevens, uh, his assistant coach stepping in for him, but weird, weird scenes with COVID around the league. Um, you know, I've seen some really good play and it's kind of getting overshadowed by this bigger story of this fucking virus that won't go away. But, um, well, just got to battle through it and take it on the chin one day at a time until we can either get vaccinated or, or something, something happens here. Um, a team I wanted to touch on, you know, I've talked about them all year. And I keep thinking, yeah, this team's going to fall off. You know, they're playing great, but they got a bunch of cast offs. They're going to fall off. The Florida Panthers are first in the central division. Now, Cooper was at the beginning of the year was a hard trophy candidate playing fantastic since since then he's really dropped off you know when it comes to points when it comes to play the team hasn't carter verhage has 17 goals the guy was a cast off a throwaway thrown in the garbage patrick hornquist was given up on by the pittsburgh penguins he's having a fantastic season we see a guy like mckenzie Weger, former a seventh round pick of the florida panthers really starting to develop coming to his own in the NHL. Even with Aaron Eckblad going down, Riley Stillman stepping into the lineup, Colton Sevier being a difference maker, um, Nola Chari scoring big goals, Chris Drieger, really great story, gets a shutout last night against Columbus. He's, he's been fantastic all year for this team. So Florida's got 56 points, two on Tampa, and they, they just don't quit. You know, Bobrovsky, Drieger, you still got Barkov, who's such an elite player. But this team just finds ways to win. Uh, 
Bobrovsky was not good at the beginning of the year. Chris Drieger was really the starter for the first month and change. He's not the starting, but he gets a start last night in the back-to-back, gets a 30-save shutout. You know, he's one of the guys on the goalie market right now. But Florida has not died off all year. they got less than 20 games left. They're going to the playoffs. And it's, it's impressive, you know, what they've been able to do. Um, and I give full credit to this team for Joel Quenville for getting these guys to buy in and play his system. And, yeah, it didn't work his first year. I think people were looking, oh, Joel's over the hill. He's got this team playing hard. He's got some good veterans in Keith Yandel. Barkoff, I think one of the more under underreported guys in the league when it comes to just being a star. Him and Huberdo both don't get talked about enough. I mean, because you know that it's all about Matthews and McDavid up north. Barkov's just as good as Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you won't hear that other than here, but it's the truth. Um, but it I, you gotta look at that division. Tampa's in second place defending Stanley Cup champions. They still got Nikita Kucherov coming back. Um, Carolina, been really great all year. They got three goalies. I'm going to talk about the goalie um, system in in the playoffs. They got Mrazek, who returned last night after being out for a month plus, gets a shutout. They got James Reimer, who's played fantastic in his absence. And they got a young goalie who they want to be their their start of the future, and Alex Nelkovich, who's played really consistent this year too. So that kind of leaves them with three goalies. What do they do moving forward uh, in Carolina? Did they try to move one at, at the deadline? There will be a market for sure. Um, but, and then you got below them, the Nashville Predators. You know, Nashville, terrible start to the year. They're now in a playoff spot, two points up in Chicago and four points, uh, five points up in Columbus and, and Dallas. And for David Poyle, he had Matthias Ekholm on the market, Philip Forsberg, Potentially Victor Arvidsson. I even heard Ryan Ellis, who I would not trade. I if I know David Poyle, which I've seen him in the league forever, he's not trading these players. In some organizations, it's not important to make the playoffs, and that's just the truth. Arizona's in a playoff spot right now. I don't think they really care. I think they're going to move some guys at the trade deadline if they can. And that sounds pretty pretty bad to hear it but I truly don't think they want to make the playoffs. Nashville does. David Poyle thinks this may be one of his last years as a general manager. I don't think he's going to part with Matias Ekholm. I don't think he's going to part with Philip Forsberg. They get in the playoffs. They may play Tampa Bay or Florida and, you know, get shelved. But I think he wants to get in the dance and at least say he went out his way. Rebuilding at his age this season. I think his goal is right now, Roman Yossi's back in the lineup. We're missing him lately. He's playing at a good level. We got Ryan Ellis at home, still a very serviceable defenseman. We're starting to find some goal scoring from Arvidsson, Rocco Grimaldi. Let's get to the playoffs. And I don't see Nashville parting with an at home, with a Pecorine, with a Forsberg, because this team's in a playoff spot. And that's where it gets tricky. San Jose is three points out of a playoff spot in the West by Arizona. What do they do? it was rumored Martin Jones, Devin Dubnik could be had. They're right there. Do I think they're a playoff team? No, but they're right there. Arizona's not a, not a killer team by any means. You know, you could catch them. Um, what does St. Louis do? 
St. Louis right now is on the outside looking in. It looks like a disaster for Craig Brube and co. Do they trade Mike Hoffman? He hasn't worked in St. Louis. He's been a healthy scratch. Uh, last Friday was a healthy scratch for St. Louis. Do they move Vince Dunn? Do they make a bigger move? Um, it, it's decision time. A lot of teams are right on that playoff line. And it's the teams to watch more will be the Buffaloes and New Jersey's because they're clearly out. Buffalo is going to trade Taylor Hall. It's just depending on what kind of haul, no pun intended, they get for him. I think New Jersey will move Kyle Palmieri because Kyle Palmieri, unless he signs an extension, will walk for nothing. New Jersey is not going to make the playoffs. Get something for him. If he goes to the Islanders, see what you can get for him. He's a good winger. He's got playoff experience. Can you get a first-round pick for him? Second-round pick and a prospect. Um, look what you can get for Kyle Palmieri. Maybe he comes back after the season. But he, as a 30-year-old winger, he's a rental. He'll There'll be lots of suitors for him. The Islanders can afford him with his cat number a little over four. And the fact that Islanders leader captain, who's making $7 million, is out for the season. He's on long-term injury reserve. They have all that cap room to use. They can use on this. They could acquire Taylor Hall. I don't think he goes to the Islanders. I'd be shocked if he went to the Islanders because I don't think he fits their system. Um, the way Barry Trotz plays, we see Matt Marzell. He can score elite goals, but if he's not playing the Barry Trotz way, his ass is sitting on the bench regardless. So it's, it's interesting what's going to happen, but I see the teams that are really bad again, Anaheim, Josh Manson. I like him as a defenseman. He's not turned into the offensive guy. Um, teams wanted him to be originally coming out, but he's a big guy. He can eat minutes, good penalty killer. I think he'll be looked at potentially cam Fowler in, and on, do they move Ryan Miller? If a team's looking for a veteran backup guy for a push for a playoff, um, Ricard Raquel, who is injured right now, but I still think a team would, would take a shot at him and acquire him and hope that his health would you get back, you know, ready for the playoffs. He's back to his elite play and you go do some damage. So I think those are the teams really to watch um, heading because teams right on the brink, unless you're, like I said, in Arizona, who I think would sell in a second because they don't make money when there's no pandemic. They're bleeding money right now. They'll eat salary, take it off their books, and they may miss the playoffs because of it, but they don't care in Arizona. It's a shitty organization. Um, so those are just some, I think, some deadline points to, to remember and consider before next Monday, which next Monday is going to be a big day here on, um, on To The Point. I'm going to do a bunch of different stuff. I'm going to do a Facebook Live when there's different signings. I do a podcast, react podcast in the morning, kind of do some predictions. So next Monday will be a big day here on to the point where all the trade deadline, all the different things happening, we're going to get into it all. So we'll get more into that during the week, give you some more details, but be ready for the, for the trade deadline day. So now I'll go out to the North uh, mentioned Vancouver and all the shit going on with them. But you know, this past uh, week, Toronto gets a few, uh, victories. I mentioned uh, Wednesday, they get a win. Friday night, they play Winnipeg. They win in, in the gimmick. That was a strong game for both teams. I actually really enjoyed that game. Um, that, that was a good game. Yet last night, Michael Hutchinson gets a start. They beat uh, Calgary, who Calgary just is so hapless right now. They Montreal hadn't played in a week, and they still had a lead over Calgary. And Calgary has played six more games than Montreal. 
Vancouver's not playing right now. Calgary basically should not want to be playing because they, they suck. Um, so they're, they're struggling. Daryl Sutter's came in. It hasn't really made a difference. Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, there still isn't the productivity you need. Interesting to see what, if Calgary does anything at the trade deadline. And I'm more about, they're not going to trade Goudreau. That's a trade you got to make in the offseason because it will be more suitors for him. Making a deadline move is, is limiting the teams that are available and the teams that would want them. Um, so interesting there what will happen. But just talking about Toronto, I got to give them credit. Um, Alex Galchenyuk's been very good um, since since moving to the Devaris Nylander line. He's given them a new edge. You see him. He's playing harder than he used to. And that's not just because he's playing in Toronto. I think that's, again, a lazy narrative. Uh, it's because it's his last, it's his last chance you. You know, if you watch that show on Netflix, basketball or, or football, you don't make it work here. You're going to play in Russia with Neil Yakupov. You're the guy who went first in your draft. That's where you're going. Uh, it's you're not playing for another NHL team. You played for nine of them. You're, you're done. Like you're you're going somewhere else. And he's given that line a, a spark for sure. Tavares, Nylander, they've been quiet. And what what I've heard out of Toronto for their trade deadline is, well, we need a left winger. Okay. I don't think that's their biggest need. If you're telling me you need a left winger to bring some mojo for Tavares and Nylander, Tavares who makes $11 million, Nylander who makes $7 million, that's pretty fucking sad. You need a guy to bring a spark to those two? Your captain and, you know, my doppelganger? Like, come on. Tavares and Nylander should not need an elite left winger to play with them. Zach Hyman, everybody loves Zach Hyman. I love him. I love his work ethic. I think he's a fantastic player, great at his role. Is he an elite player? No. But he works his ass off. He gets in the corners. But is he a guy that's a star? In the, is he a Taylor Hall? No. But playing with Matthews and Martin because he gets them the puck. Point blank. And he wins the tough battles. And he doesn't, you know, Matthews doesn't have to go in the corner every time. Matthew, Marner's not going to go in the corner, but he doesn't have to. Hyman's on the ice. Hyman doesn't Hyman doesn't drive that line. The way it's been talked about is you need somebody to get on that line to drive it. Tavares and Nylander, you should be fucking embarrassed if you need a guy to get on that line and drive it for you. Again, it does looking beyond salary, John Tavares, exceptional status, OHL, Captain New York Islanders, fantastic player. Bill Nylander, first round pick. Really good player in Toronto, 25 goal scorer. Looks like me, some people say. So there's another positive for the guy. Um, I think I got better hair. Uh, but it's, you don't, that's not their biggest need. To me, their biggest need, and I, I'm, I'm gonna, it's not goaltending for me. And I'll get to that in a minute. But it's not goaltending, it's, it's a defenseman. I, I like their top four. Riley and Brody, solid pair all year. Can't complain about them. Re- really good. Muzzin Hall, great shutdown pair. No complaints. Bogosian's been solid. No problem. Travis Dermott going into the playoffs is a, is a flat-out liability. The past two games, he's played eight minutes and nine minutes and 54 seconds. 
if you're playing him that in a in a game against Calgary on a Sunday night, how much is he going to play in the playoffs? And guess what? The Leafs, you cannot play Riley 25 minutes a night in the playoffs because you've done it for years. And what has it gotten you? Failure. The guy can't play that many minutes. That's no shame on him because they did the same thing in FNUF. And then all the Leafs fans say, well, FNUF sucks. FNUF didn't suck. It's just your organization putting him in position to fail. Did he make bad decisions as a player? Of course. And Riley does too. But to give your chance to give your team the best chance to win, don't put a player in a position he can't handle. And Morgan Riley, for years, has been put in a position to be a number one defenseman. He isn't. That's okay. That's okay. There are teams that have won championships without an elite number one defenseman. The, 26, the 2006 Hurricanes did not have a number one defenseman. The 2017 Pittsburgh Penguins did not have an elite. Chris Letang was hurt. They did not have one. Many teams do, but it's not. you don't always have to have one. You can play by committee. And you can win. That is what I think is missing here is Toronto needs to just get a better defenseman to play with them. And if I'm Toronto, I think it's a tough trade to pull off. I'm getting David Savard because I don't want Winnipeg to get him. I do not want Winnipeg to get him. Was Toronto got the best of Winnipeg last week? Uh, playoffs, I'm not convinced they will. It's a different game. It's a harder game. And Winnipeg's their biggest thing right now is their defense. It's it's weak. Bullion, who was really a fifth, sixth defenseman's out for the year, and, and you know it's like a catastrophic thing for them because they're so thin on the back end. Pionk, Morrissey, again, both guys who are two, three defensemen, not number ones. You need a committee of guys and not play a guy more minutes, and then you see him wear out, and then it's you go on Twitter and it's bloody murder for this guy who got sent to the pack of wolves where it really wasn't his fault to begin with. So it's for Toronto, for me, their goaltending situation, it's obviously an issue. Campbell is great. He's eight and in the season. You can't complain about that. However, he can't play. It seems like every second night he can't play. And it's, that's not just precautions to me because he's had injuries his whole career. And you're telling me you're comfortable with him and Hutchinson going into the playoffs? Because you're, you're hoping Freddie can come back. You have two goalies going into the playoffs that are fragile. I wouldn't want to do it. This is Toronto's best chance to win a championship in fucking forever. This is real this year. It's real this year for Toronto. Not all those other years where the media guys made Toronto fans believe they could win. And then you have my parents saying, oh, Toronto's going to go on a run. Okay. You can do it this year. You're in a weak division. And you're a good to great team, not elite. Conference final is not pie in the sky. A conference final for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the past decade has been pie in the sky. This is your shot. Upgrade it if you can. Again, it's just a few names. Two of these names on this list will probably make Leafs fans curl over. James Reimer. James Reimer's been fantastic in Carolina. In a tandem role. 
But if you acquire James Reimer, it, he might not even play. But you have him there as a security blanket. Jack Campbell's great. I don't still don't think he's a number one goaltender. You need to play every other night to be a number one goaltender. You can't do it. You got to play Hutchinson there. You know, it, there's too many question marks there. Chris Drieger, can you get him from Florida? He's got a low cap hit, which would help Toronto. I think he's as he's better than Hutchinson. And again, he may never play. He may never face a shot, but he's there if you need him. Colorado, they didn't address this. They had Grubauer, he got hurt. They had Frank Lewis, he got hurt. They had Hutchinson in the playoffs. They should have beat Dallas. They lose. Game seven overtime because Michael Hutchinson was in the net. You see the template. It was only six months ago. And again, Colorado, Washington, they're going to be in the goalie market. For Washington, for me, they got Samsonov, Vanacek. Reimer is very intriguing to me. He's got experience, but you got to look at that. Again, I'm going to mention this again. Jonathan Bernier, if he's healthy for Toronto, yeah, he was terrible when he was in Toronto. He's been really solid in Detroit on one of the worst teams in the past three, four years. And I'd rather have too much of a good thing than not enough. Because Jack Campbell looks great every other night. You know, every three, four nights now, but in the playoffs, you're playing every other night. And there's no whoa, maintenance day. I can't go. Hutchinson, let's go. Okay. If you 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 good with that? Least fans, Hutchinson in the net. Good luck. So I don't think forward is their biggest need. By no means do I think Alex Galchenyuk is a safe bet to be a superstar all year. Some Leaf fans do. But every acquisition is a great acquisition if you're a Leaf fan. But just one man's opinion. Upgrade that D. Try to get a goalie. It's Colorado, Washington, Philly, potentially. Potentially Boston. Halak tested positive today. They're going to be in the market too. So strike while the iron's hot. Um, yeah, uh, I, I was going to get into Colorado, who are playing some really, really good hockey right now. Um, beat St. Louis twice over the weekend. They're now first place in the West, four points up on Vegas. But I'll get, get into that with Seamus tomorrow night. We're going to have a big round table, but a lot of, a lot of different sports. But Colorado, um, Nathan McKinnon's chugging. Grubauer's playing some really good hockey. Kale McCarr is just a, a joy. Colorado, to me, is the funnest team to watch in the NHL. Um, they don't play that late. If you have a chance and you got hockey package, turn on a Colorado game. They're bar none the funnest team to watch. They just fly. Even their depth guys, Don Skoy, Burakovsky, these guys are good players and uh, they're they're fun. So Vegas is a team to keep your eye on because they they bring it every night and they're they're a lot. I'm sorry, Colorado is a team to watch because they bring it every night and they're a lot of fun. They're playing in in the division with with Vegas who. To me, the top three teams in the NHL right now are Tampa Bay, Colorado, and Vegas in that order. And um, it's two in the same division. So you know that they're going to have to play each other eventually, which only makes it more and more intriguing. Um, Major League Baseball. A couple of big headlines over the weekend. I'm going to get into the Nick Castellanos thing in a minute. But I don't root for teams, as you know, I, but I root for people sometime you know just i got i really want to succeed is shohei otani starting pitcher slash designated hitter for the los angeles angels this guy has been in 
the majors for a few years. He had Tommy John last year. Um, he's trying to get, he's trying to be a hitter and a pitcher at the same time. He's a DH for the angels. And then he, he pitches last night, the first time this year, solid start, but in the first inning last night, he throws 101 mile an hour fastball goes one, two, three gets out of the inning. Then his first pitch he faces in the bottom of the first, he cranks a homer 450 feet. This dude can be elite. Can he can go one on one on one on the gun, and then two minutes later get out the first pitch he sees it's 450 feet in the air dinger. I want to see him do both at a really high level. I think that would be so great for the sport. You can market him. He's a guy who came over from Japan, still trying to learn. He's trying to get better at English, and he's just he's a likable guy. Shohei Otani, playing with Mike Trout, making the Angels relevant again. They go three and one over the weekend against the White Sox in, in a really entertaining series. But if Otani could get going, you get Trout, you get Anthony Rendon, who they signed for the Nationals. If the Angels could be relevant against another California team, that's good. And to have the best player in baseball be on a competitive team for, you know, some years, you know, the Angels aren't making the playoffs by June 1st. And you got Mike Trout is just playing for MVP. I'd like to see this team be competitive longer into the season and Otani pitching gives them a better chance to do that. And I just think he's scheduled to start next Sunday against the Jays. That'll be on sports. That's 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 on TV. Give this guy a look because he's, he's going to be pitching. And he's going to be DHing in the same game more than likely. And it's, I wish him all the best because I want him to succeed so badly. Um, I, I, I just, uh, I like, I like seeing what he did last night. It was so fun flipping to that station, seeing angels, white Sox uh, do battle. Um, another big story over the weekend was the Cincinnati Reds playing the St. Louis Cardinals uh, first series of the season and right fielder for the Cincinnati Reds is Nick Castellanos. Castellanos is a, is known for a, to be a hothead. He used to be a third baseman for the Tigers He's since pivoted into right field. He, he is a very good player, but he's got a temper and he, he likes to bring it. So in the second inning, he, he gets a fastball up high, hits him right in the shoulder. He doesn't like it. Let's the, let's the batter know. Then he's on the base pass. He's trying to steal. And then a wild pitch goes away. He goes, he, wild pitch goes, goes um, past the catcher. He starts chugging for home. He's safe. Then does a flex in front of the catcher, which sparks an eruption. The pitcher goes after him. The bench is clear. And Castellano started this whole brouhaha, so to speak, as, as Kramer would say. And the next day, he gets ejected in the fourth inning because he's fighting and he's doing The next day, hits an, another. It's a home run, skips around the base pads. Today, he gets a two-game suspension. I get it. I get why he was suspended because he started all this commotion. Baseball doesn't want players converging because of COVID and the protocol and all that. However, he took a pitch up high and it was 98 miles an hour. Do you want to take a pitch 98 miles an hour? I, I wouldn't like it. And what I think baseball is missing the boat on here is a guy showing personality. Baseball doesn't have a lot of personalities. The game is fading. They don't care to market it. 
Castellanos is a guy that has a temper. He's a guy that's not afraid to be himself. And was he in the wrong here? Maybe. I don't think it was suspension worthy. I think it was really entertaining. You know, him and Yadier Molina talking about it after, you know, on the base pass. That's fun to me. Molina's another big character. St. Louis, their catcher forever. He's a big personality. And I don't think it was the right thing for, for baseball to suspend him. I'm not saying you want bench clearing brawls all the time, but you do want people to talk about your sport. And Castellanos was going to do that. It was going to be a headline. It was on SportsCenter early on. When do you see Cardinals Reds early in a, in a highlight package? You saw it this weekend because Castellanos was making headlines. And he gets a two-game suspension, whatever. I just think it's missing the boat when it comes to what they could potentially be taking advantage of here. And that's the marketability of the sport. They don't seem to care. They have their casual, they have their audience of an older generation. They're hoping people will tune in to watch baseball. But Castellanos has a guy who's got personality. Fernando Tatis Jr. has personality. Encourage these guys to have a personality. You know, if I'm if I'm Bo Bichette, if I do I I'm flowing the hair back. I'm doing everything. When I'm in the base pass, I'm being energetic and being myself. Javi Baez is a guy who's got a personality. Castellanos may cross the line every now and then, but it's you need those guys. Brad Marchand's a pain in the ass in Boston, but he's marketable because people hate him or they love him. And that's the best athlete because you can do either with him. People are like, oh, I effing hate Brad Marchand. You got the Boston Bruins. I wouldn't trade Brad Marchand if my life depended on it. So I just look at that as a failure for, for, for Major League Baseball to suspend a guy for, for being himself. And was it always positive drama? No, but I think it ultimately served its purpose and it did good for the sport. Um, quickly before we wrap, the, the Blue Jays, um, they go two and one over the weekend. The big headline for me, again, I, I mentioned last week, the thing you got to remember is sample size. Three games. The best thing you can say about their start so far, Guerrero Jr. looks good. So, solid defensively. Bo looks like he made some adjustments defensively, played well yesterday. Um, but the bullpen, uh, Chatwood, who they signed in the offseason, has looked good. Jordan Romano, Julian Merriweather, who's going to be a gem, maybe their new closer. He can get to 100 miles an hour on the gun. Got some, you know, 93 mile an hour changeup, sorry, 93 mile an hour slider, 87 mile an hour changeup. He's got a dangerous combination. Ryan Brucky's looks solid on the mound uh, in, in relief. Um, Dolis had a struggle on Saturday, but they still have some faith in him. And what you got to do if you're Jason is just have patience with the starters. Um, Stripling was okay. He didn't go deep yesterday we're going to see what Steven Matz they're playing right now against the Texas Rangers. You know, you got uh, Tanner Roark. So it's a wait and see approach with this team when it comes to starting pitching and how they're going to do it. Uh, TJ Zoic did not go long into the game yesterday, but he did his job. So for the Toronto Blue Jays fans, good thing your bullpen looks strong and otherwise just be patient and hope that this team can find itself and play some good, some good baseball behind their behind their pitching. And I think they will, they, they hit very well. And Guerrero jr. With Marcus Simeon making an impact early in his Jake's career, this team can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And if you can get four or five runs, 
you may be able to hold on and win games by doing that. So keep swinging the bats. Hopefully the rotation can keep them, you know, doesn't lose them too many games here and keeps them, keeps them involved for sure. But that's going to be it for, for right now. Going to do a podcast tomorrow night with Seamus about uh, a bunch of things in the world of sports. Talk about the national championship, talk about the NHL podcast coming Wednesday, uh, a little bit of a master's preview, some other sports around the league. Um, Again, I said next Monday, we're going to be doing a trade deadline special episode 100 on the horizon, 92 tonight. And also uh, this evening, you can watch me and Craig Eagles on, on uh, under review on the uh, FDS podcast network, uh, Facebook page. We'll be doing a Facebook live talking all things NHL. So tune into that as well. But um, thank you all for listening. Hope you guys all had a great weekend. We're back here. Another uh, jam pack week into the point. So stay tuned for lots of content coming your way, but uh, enjoy it and uh, take care everybody.